Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spiritual Insights. If you are new to the show, we do monthly segments on A Course in Miracles, and joining me today is my special guest co-host, Robert Rosenthal, MD, and if you are really new to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Bob, as we affectionately refer to him. He has been a student of A Course in Miracles since before it was published, and was also a close personal friend of Bill Seffer, Ph.D., and Dr. Seffer was the co-scribe of A Course in Miracles, along with Helen Shuckman. He has also, Dr. Bob, has served on the board of directors for the Foundation for Inner Peace, which is the publisher of the course, and he's been doing that since 1992. He is also a board-certified psychiatrist in private practice near Princeton, New Jersey, and he's also the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit. The book interprets the biblical story of Exodus and demonstrates the ego's perception of life's conditions. So today what we're going to do is... Uh, discuss some common questions that people ask about the course, and it can be from any level of study, whether you're brand new to the course or have been studying it for years. If you would like to visit Dr. Bob's website, read excerpts from the book, and see what it's all about, go to fromplaguestomiracles.com. You can also interact with him on Facebook. If you missed the announcement that this year we'll be launching a new digital magazine called Spiritual Insights, you can visit the website to learn more about that as well. So join me in welcoming Dr. Bob to the show. How are you, dear brother? I'm good. Am I coming through okay? Yeah, you sound great. Okay, great, because my headset did a very funny thing. Yeah, I'm good, and I'm looking forward to having, uh, you know, a bit of a, a, I guess you'd call it a little bit of a looser show since we're going to be responding to uh, questions and answers, and we have plenty of questions. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a few answers, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, boy. Feet don't fail me now. Well, yes. You know, I've been teaching for some time, and and there are a lot of common questions that people ask, but we're going to get into some of those and some of the the deeper ones. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun discussing that. Yeah, and I was thinking probably rather than my usual, you know, 25 to 30-minute, you know, sermonette, maybe – we can just start with some very broad questions. I'll talk for, you know, five minutes or so, then check in with you, then we can move on to the next uh-huh. one. Okay. Um, if any of our listeners have uh, questions and uh, are forthright enough to call those in, then we can kind of break from our track and go to those questions. Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, this will be um, a fun, um, flexible segment. Good. So I was thinking um, – 
even though I know some of our listeners are very seasoned students of A Course in Miracles, I know that there are others who've, who come to this through my book uh, and really know very little about A Course in Miracles. So I was thinking the best place to start would be, you know, what is A Course in Miracles um, in the first place? You know, is this a religion? Is it a cult? Is it a philosophy? Um, it's certainly been accused of being all of those. Um, and so uh, why don't I begin by weighing in there? Okay, sounds good. So A Course in Miracles is essentially a self-study program. That is to say, it was not intended to be a religion. Uh, it was not intended to have anyone preaching from pulpits. It's a series of three books, a text, a workbook, and a manual for students. I mean, I'm sorry, a manual for teachers, mm -hmm. uh, all now combined in one. Uh, and the idea there is what separates a student and a teacher is simply a matter of time and practice, so that we're all, at least in potential form, um, both students and teachers, and therefore you really can apply any of those sections to yourself in your own life. A lot of students um, start out with the text, which can be very heavy going in the first 100 pages or so, um, and yet the Manual for Teachers is eminently more readable, and, you know, you might just go there instead. But so it's these three books, and the idea is the text presents a philosophy, uh, if you will, a theoretical understanding of who are you, and what is this world you're living in, and who are all the other humans around you, and what is your relationship to God, and how does that determine what your purpose is on planet Earth? So it, it goes after all the really big questions that I think religions try to answer, but so often leave us, you know, feeling a little bit empty or a little bit uh, frustrated and uncertain. Um, it's absolutely not a cult, no matter what you would see on the Internet. As a psychiatrist, I am very aware of what a cult is. There is no charismatic figure at the head of A Course in Miracles. In fact, the two scribes who brought it through, Helen Shuckman, who was the channel, who um, you know heard this information and then wrote it down, um, Bill Thetford, who was her um, her sort of partner, who who started the whole process off, and without whose help she would never have completed it. Um, you know, Helen died in 1981, five years after the publication of the first hardbound edition of the course. Bill died in 1988. Um, they wanted, they insisted that the course be published anonymously at first. Their names didn't get out until many, many years later. Uh, so this is no cult. Um, it doesn't ask that you make sacrifices. It doesn't ask that you move or change your life. You don't have to join anything. Um, the workbook says you don't even have to believe the lessons as you're doing them. You just mm -hmm. have to practice them. And in the course of practicing, you will see that they work. So, um, in that sense, A Course in Miracles is really pretty unique. You can come at it on your own, um, or, as many people now choose, you can study it in a group format. There are study groups literally all over the planet, um, and if you are a student of the course or are thinking of becoming a student and want a study group, the Miracle Distribution Center website uh, actually has a database of all available groups in this country and, as I said, around the world. But you don't have to study it in a group. So that is the literal what is a course. Did I miss anything here before we get on to what is it really saying? 
No, I think you're fine. Uh, you're, I think you're going to get into where it came from, who yes. gave the information, so you're fine. Right. So um, moving on, thank you. Uh, I'm going to do those reality checks. Uh, the course was purportedly channeled by the voice of Jesus. Now, um, Helen, Helen Shuckman, the psychologist who brought it through, was Jewish by birth, raised as an atheist, had a, um, a child care person, um, a live-in maid, who was very Catholic and who helped raise her. And so Catholicism was always very near and dear to her. But the Course is, is remarkably different from Catholicism uh, or most uh, you know, forms of Christianity that you'll find practiced today. So Helen heard a voice, and when she asked, she said, he says he's Jesus. Now, much has been made of this, and um, because especially in the United States, Jesus carries um, a lot of punch, I think we have to be very careful how we interpret this. Is it the historical Jesus? Perhaps it is. But the historical Jesus, you know, who died and was resurrected, only spoke Aramaic. He didn't know how to write. Um, and so here's someone channeling a 1,249-page work in beautiful poetic English, much of it um, in iambic pentameter meter. Uh, mm -hmm. So clearly that's not exactly the historical Jesus. And this takes us into the Course's theoretical understanding, because the Course says that Jesus, the historical Jesus, was not the only Son of God. He was the Son of God. But so are you, so are me, so is every human being on the planet. We are all sons of God in the sense that the God of A Course in Miracles extended the absolute perfect love that is that God to create what the Course calls his son. The Course, unfortunately, does use um, you know, gender-biased language. It was channeled in the 1960s well before the feminist movement uh, got started. Um, but so it uses the term son of God rather than child of God or daughter of God. But the idea being the collective us, what we really are, each one of us, is a oneness, a wholeness. The same oneness and wholeness lives within each of us. And therefore, Jesus was just a guide. He went first, he, a trailblazer. He paved that path, he figured out how to find his way back to, to the oneness that is God, and now through A Course in Miracles, he's laying out a path that the rest of us can follow. Now, A Course, the course, in, Miracles, a course in Miracles is very clear, it is not the only path. It's not saying, follow this path or go to hell. Hardly, hardly. Uh, in fact, one of the best ways to understand it is that it makes the case that what happened to the original teachings of Jesus <clears throat> was a major distortion, um, and it's here to correct a lot of those. And therefore, it's actually using terms that get used in conventional modern-day Christianity, but giving them completely different meanings. So, for example, sin in A Course in Miracles is not those things that you've done wrong for which you need to atone or you will go to hell uh, or wind up in purgatory. Sin is all of that which obstructs us and keeps us from seeing our oneness in God, from recognizing that we are but love, which is um, what God is, and that which keeps us separate from each other and from God. So 
the course really redefines all of these, and therefore the question of was it dictated by the historical Jesus actually pulls us back into a certain level of separation. Was it Jesus? Wasn't it Jesus? Who is Jesus anyway? Can Jesus be my guide? I mean, for some people, this is a huge selling point. Um, for other people who were raised uh, you know, within Christianity and had some very negative experiences, it's a real downer, uh, and they approach the Course with some real um, trepidation. For someone like myself, who was raised Jewish, um, you know, Jesus was the other. It was, you know, uh, that which, you know, gave rise to the Holocaust, uh, even though that's, I don't believe that's true. Um, so I, I think when we get to the historical Jesus, we all start applying our own interpretations. And what A Course in Miracles will tell you is that the moment you get into different interpretations, different forms, um, different ways of seeing something, you are lost in the world of separation. This is where we all find ourselves. This is, in fact, the problem that the Course is designed to address through something that the Course calls the Atonement, and it capitalizes Atonement. The Atonement is the path back to God. It's the unwinding of all of the illusions of form and separateness that we have fallen into. And notice I'll use the word fall on purpose because I think it's the best understanding of the Adam and Eve story in the fall from Eden. Mm -hmm. um, the Course uh, says, and I think it was borrowing from um, Mary Baker Eddy and uh, Christian Science in this, that Adam fell into a deep sleep, uh, according to Genesis, but nowhere does it say he woke up. So the Course would maintain we are all still asleep. We fell from God, not because we sinned, but because we forgot. We created sort of this virtual reality bubble world where it looks like we're all separate and we all have different forms. We're tall and short, fat and thin, male and female, smart and dumb, rich and poor. You know, we could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And that all of those obstruct or get in the way of our essential oneness. The Course teaches the atonement, which is the process of forgiveness, as according to the Course, and forgiveness is just learning to overlook, literally overlook or look through those illusions uh, and see the oneness behind them, the love behind them. And when we do that, we are fulfilling the atonement. As we do that and study that for ourselves, which according to the Course is the only function we have in the world, um, the function of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for his or herself. Mm -hmm. When we do that, a funny thing starts to happen. Other people in our lives and other people that maybe we don't even know start to wake up as well. Uh, and this process of sort of the collective awakening where one mind catalyzes another because in point of reality they are all one in the same minds, this is what the Course refers to as miracles. So we're trapped in this bubble of space and time that has gone on for a very, very long time. Allowed to proceed on its own, it would take a very, very long time to wind our way out of illusion and complete the atonement. A Course in Miracles is a catalyst. Um, a catalyst is something that um, allows a chemical reaction to proceed much faster than it would normally um, take place. So the Course and its miracles save time. Um, the Course likes to say that each miracle will save a thousand years of time as we know it. And those miracles really are the byproduct 
of our practicing the atonement, of our practicing forgiveness, of our recognizing my brother, my neighbor as myself, that is literally as part of myself. And um, in this way, the work of the historical Jesus is is brought back to life for us in this day and age, um, and in a very... Um, undistortable way, although even there, it's amazing how the ego mind, uh, which is what keeps us from remembering who we are, how the ego mind can crawl back in there uh, and try to um, obstruct our learning. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of the course is for you to become a miracle worker. The The purpose of the course is for you to accept atonement. The purpose of the course is healing, is forgiveness, and all of these are one and the same. To use um, the language of a different spiritual system, the purpose of the Course is indeed waking up. It's enlightenment. But it has a view of enlightenment. Um, Shara and I were talking before the show, and she reminded me that one of the lessons, number 188, reminds us, you know, that enlightenment is, is but a recognition and not a change at all. Um, it's, it's a shift in perception. And the Course is all about helping us to shift our perception of the world so that we recognize we're not the victims of it, that it's not being done to us, that we, in fact, are projecting and, and, and making the world that we see through our fear and our separation, and that there actually is another way, a better way. Um, which gets us back into how the Course came into being, and I'll take two minutes to talk about that. Uh, and then, um, anyway, so Bill Thetford and Helen Shuckman were psychologists at Columbia Presbyterian uh, Medical School in New York City. It was a cutthroat competitive department. Um, they were ironically working on developing something called the a personality assessment scale, um, which is a way of understanding and measuring the ego, which if you're a student of the course is, is extremely ironic. And one day, um, completely flustered by, by the backbiting and what, what was truly a poisonous professional atmosphere at Columbia, Bill said to Helen, you know, there must be another way. Um, and I'm determined to find it. Notice, that was a complete commitment to, to, to literally finding a better way, to not, doing, to not seeing separation, to recognizing that his interests and others were aligned. And much to his surprise, Helen said, yes, I will help you find it. Um, and a short time later, the dictation of the course began. There were a lot of dreams, visions, um, experiences that Helen and Bill shared, um, which um, are available in any one of a number of stories of how A Course in Miracles came to be. But, but, but it really started with the commitment of two people in a very difficult and troubled relationship, in a very difficult and troubled setting, to find a better way, a path of love. Um, And since we are all ultimately in relationship with someone else, your mother, your child, your coworker, your boss, um, the person in the elevator with you, we're in relationships wherever we go. The course is about healing those relationships so that instead of 
feeling competitive, angry, defensive, that person's going to attack me, I'd better preemptively attack them first, I'm going to make a sacrifice so that I'm a better human being. I mean, all of the ways in which the mind that we consider to be ourself, the ego mind, um, you know, sort of twists us and turns us and, and makes the world a very dangerous place all of these are gradually undone, and we discover a path that is all about love and forgiveness and oneness instead. So um, let me, you know, I'm sure that triggered some thoughts, or if I was completely, perfectly complete, let me know. And um, But that's how A Course came. Um, yes, it was dictated by a voice that identified itself as Jesus. Um, no, Jesus is not special, except that um, he found a path first and now is, is, in a sense, blazing a trail that we can all follow through this particular um, teaching. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, that, that was great. Um, of course, I, I, forgiveness is jumping out at me, and I want to point out that in part two of the book, uh, some very heavy questions are answered, such as, what is forgiveness? And it says, forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. So forgiveness then corrects your perception of the events of your life. And it reminds me of, you know, my classes where you can really see a um, a noticeable reaction from uh, participants where, you know, if we, if sometimes, and we do it on the show too, like we're like, it's all an illusion, it never happened. And then I got to kind of jump in there and, and say, let's let's break that down a little bit because, to the ego, as you start to get into A Course in Miracles or as you progress further into it, the ego starts to become outraged by some of the statements. And I remember one person in particular who literally scowled and raised his voice and said to me in class when I was talking about forgiveness, are you, are you telling me that I should forgive the guy that threw that grenade at me when I was in the war? And I just very calmly said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Otherwise, what, what are you doing with that memory but allowing it to eat you up inside? What else will you, you know, why don't, why would you not choose freedom from that bad memory? You're not letting him off the hook. You know, I went into whatever I said. Mm-hmm. But it was a very strong reaction. And so I wanted to uh, touch a little bit on forgiveness and remind everybody that um, it really allows for the Holy Spirit to come in, and we should touch on him, to come in and correct your perceptions of events because our perceptions, you had mentioned projection earlier. First we project yes. based on our hopes, fears, attachments, all all that the, all that makes us, you know, the fearful beings that we are, and then we perceive what we believe. So if we believe the world is a scary place, it will be. If we believe that people are inherently good, they will be. And we will attract those things. And then we attract things that the goal is to show us how we're misperceiving, but we tend to go back to the blame, shame, and guilt. We attack, and then we justify our attack and say, well, they made me angry, and therefore I'm justified in my response. Um, but there's there's just so much we could say about that, but we're going to touch on a lot yeah. of different things. But it also goes into what is salvation. It, it addresses uh, what is the world. It goes into um, what is sin, as you were touching on what is the body and what is the Holy Spirit and what is the Christ 
and it's very specific, and it's and it's rather brief in comparison to many of the passages in the text. Um, yeah, those are so great I, sections. And it's very it's very to the point. And and yes, while it's written sort of in a biblical, it's got a biblical feel to it. My favorite sections are the ones where it gets personal in in like the first person when he when he's talking and I firmly believe this is Jesus talking. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll get to that in a minute, but there are certain sections where he says, "Well, what I meant in the Bible where it says this and then he clarifies that." And and so he corrects a lot of the misinterpretations um yes. that have taken place. Um when I found the course, it was 2001, I was 33 years old, and I was a mess. I just was depressed, suicidal, all that, you know, doom and gloom and the inky blue spells. And then this came along just in time, and the difference was I was prepared to accept it, where I think one time before, I took a couple glances at the first few pages and said, that's not for me. But that just meant that I, I really wasn't ready for change. And, you know, like we say, if if you want to change your life, you have to change your mind. And then once I got to that point, it came along. And by the time I hit Lesson 50, a voice appeared, identified itself as Jesus, and said there was work to do. So I'm one of those Jesus talkers. And um, and there were several other people who came to me that validated, like as I started to think I was crazy, and someone came up to me and said a voice told them to come into where I was working and speak to me. I said, really? And we talked it a little while, and I said, yeah, it's for real, because it was happening to her, and she didn't understand it. And um, so that was that. Let me turn this back over to you. Yeah. Um, we had wanted to talk about, is there a wrong way to study? Well, yeah, not. I, I can segue to that, but you actually brought something up that's okay. really important and that I, um, if I did mention it, I definitely didn't do a, a, a good job of accentuating it. And that is to say, you know, when I started out and said the course is a self-study course, what it's really about is helping train you to work with your own inner teacher. Now, you can identify that inner teacher as Jesus. You can identify it as Holy Spirit. Um, You could, as uh, the 12-step programs do, call it, you know, your higher self. Names don't matter, but it, it makes the point that you, as an ego mind, literally are incapable of solving all of the various problems in your life using your own mind uh, as, as you conceptualize it. Um, it you, you can't solve the problem at the level at which you live the problem. Um, you know, in my book, From Plagues to Miracles, I liken this to, you know, can a fish figure out how to, you know, get out of water and be on land? Um, you know, can an earthworm, you know, shrug off the, the dirt and the soil? No, we have been in this this world, this dream of illusion for so long. And if you happen to subscribe to the idea of, um, you know, uh, incarnate, reincarnation, maybe we've gone over and over and over again. But even if not, we have been here, we have been trained to think a certain way. And we really need help. And that help has to come not from outside of us, although, uh, well, it it comes from within. So the course is a self-study program that trains you to hear and be attuned to your own inner source of guidance. 
And the beauty of that, of course, is once you have a, a sense of a working relationship with Jesus, with Holy Spirit, with the Shekinah, with the Buddha, again, I don't care about the names. Once you have that working relationship, guess what? you will be able to come up with guidance no matter what situation arises in your life. Um, and it's guidance that is always with you. It's, you don't have to, you know, even carry your iPhone with you. I mean, it's, it's already there in your own head. And, of course, once you recognize, oh, it's always there, then the bigger question comes up of, hmm, well, who am I really if I have this constant completely reliable and dependable source within me that I can go to at any given time. Um, you know, Shar, you pointed out that the voice of Jesus does correct many um, passages from the Bible, from the New Testament, saying, this is what I really meant to say. Well, one of my favorites uh, is, you know, he I'm says sorry, in the Bob, course... Something yeah. weird just happened. You just cut out and there was a strange static on the line. Could you repeat, like, the last four sentences? Sure. You said yeah. the voice so I was, does correct, and that's where you cut off. Okay. So thank you. So um, you were pointing out that Jesus corrects many of the, um, the, 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 the lines, the verses from the New Testament where he's misquoted or where the meaning got misinterpreted to say, you know, it says this, but here's what I really meant. And one of my absolute favorites is where he says, you know, you have been told that the kingdom of heaven is within you. It would be more accurate to say the kingdom of heaven is you. So as we tune into this higher guidance, our sense of self actually does begin to shift along with our perception of the world and events and other people until eventually we realize that voice within us actually is us. It's, it's the greater us. And, and when you think about forgiveness and, you know, how do you forgive that guy who threw the grenade into your pit? How do you forgive, you know, the uncle who took you in that back room and raped you? How do you forgive the person who stole your idea and left you penniless and formed a multi-million dollar company out of it? I mean, we can go on and on. All of these are, are examples of, of the worst of the ego world. Well, from within the ego world, you can't forgive it. These are reprehensible. And, and for many people, it does take many years to, to, to deal with their anger and work their way through this. But ultimately, as you were saying, Shar, that anger, that rage only hurts ourselves. And the ultimate, the ultimate source of forgiveness is indeed the recognition that if this is indeed all one big dream, and and again, as you practice the course, this becomes more convincing, believe it or not, then within a dream, all kinds of things happen. If you have a horrible dream where, where you killed someone, do you wake up and go to the cops? Uh, or do you say, wow, that was a pretty gnarly dream. I'm really glad I'm awake. Same with any other dream or where anybody did it to you. If, if you dream that... Uh, that your wife was unfaithful, do you wake up and divorce her? I certainly hope not. It was a dream. So the only, you know, the, um, there, there, there are two lessons in the course that say, let me recognize the problem so it can be solved, and let me recognize that my problems have been solved. And what these two lessons say is there really is only one problem where we see myriad problems uh, and, and an endless series of obstacles and hurts and grievances and attacks and defenses. 
there really is only one problem, and that one problem is that you think you're a separate self, living in a separate body, ruled by a private mind that nobody else knows anything about with its own thoughts, and that you're going about the world this way. And therefore, if you believe that, all the rest of the problems of the world are inevitable. You can't uh-huh. get around them. You might have a good year here and there, um, but it isn't going to last. Uh, no. And by the way, even if you have a really wonderful life, at the end of that life you're going to die. Um, people you know and love are going to die. Bad stuff is going to happen because that is the ego's world. You know, This is akin to the teaching um, in the life of the Buddha, where, you know, sort of metaphorically he's raised a Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, in a palace where there is nothing bad. His mother and his father, the king and queen, are remarkable. It's completely loving. He's married to a woman who's perfect. Their love is perfect. They have perfect children. Nothing invades the palace grounds. And he thinks, yeah, you know, I got it made. And then one day he ventures outside of the palace grounds to discover, um, you know, a sick person an old person and a corpse and realizes that no matter how good it is, people are, you know, we get sick, we get old inevitably and we die. So just the fact of those alone should be causing each one of us not to say, um, let me see what I can do, you know, within this dream. Let me, you know, jog and, you know, take supplements so that I live forever. Let me pile up as much money as I can so that, um, you know, so that nothing bad ever gets me. No, it's not going to work. You can't solve that one problem from within the confines of the illusion. You have to go beyond it. And when you recognize the one problem is your separate sense of self, and you begin to work on that, and you practice forgiveness, which helps you to see that your brother is you, then indeed it makes sense that all of the things that you thought happened never occurred because they happened to separate beings in separate bodies, and that is part of the illusion. And therefore, they just kind of fade out. Uh, And real forgiveness is not, I am superior to you, and I will therefore forgive you because I know better and you are a miserable worm. No, real forgiveness, even if you get there not in a spiritual path, real forgiveness is, yeah, you know, it, it, it just doesn't feel terribly bad anymore. You know, um, it's over. When I work with survivors of horrible childhood trauma, the mantra is that was then, this is now. It's only there if you hold on to the past. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, there is only one problem, even though it looks like myriad different problems from the perspective of our ego mind. And the more we see that, the more we know what the one solution to that one problem is. It's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's atonement. Uh, and that's what the Course teaches us. And, and that reminds me of uh, a very major point. Um, the one thing I couldn't get, I was pretty good at dissecting situations, breaking it down, trying to understand it. I came up with this um, formula for wisdom in my 20s, and that was um, the process of observation, analyzation, integration, and then application of what you figured out about your energetic contribution to the situation, but the one thing I couldn't get was how to let go, and I mean, and, and at the time, I had a photographic memory, so I remembered everything, mm-hmm. and, and good memories are great, but the bad were just as vivid, 
so I could remember the date, the time, what I was wearing, all the stuff, and I couldn't let go. And people would always say, why don't you just let it go? But I didn't know the steps to that. But the course helped me to get to a place of acceptance that, yes, part of my story, it does not define who I am. It merely served as a guidepost to my experience in earth school to to grow in the direction I needed to grow in. And I did, through forgiveness and, and what the Course teaches, learn to truly accept that no matter the tragedies and traumas of my life, that I deserve to be happy and I can allow myself and give myself permission to be happy. But I have to go through the doorway of forgiveness to get there. Otherwise, it's just self-torture. Make sense? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a course lesson. Forgiveness is the key to happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty, you know, that nails it. Um, and, and therefore, anything that is not forgiveness, and again, forgiveness is equivalent to the atonement, is equivalent to healing. You know, there, again, in a world of form, we will give many different words to the same process. But anything that is not forgiveness, no matter how good it might feel in the moment, is not is not going to bring you happiness. I am sure if we went and interviewed um, Super Bowl winning teams, the members of those teams, they would tell us that, yeah, you know, the the, the celebration that night was incredible, one of the best moments of their life. But then they wake up the next morning, and what then? They have to keep repeating being Super Bowl winners. Well, you know, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it can't last. It, it doesn't last. And therefore, you know, the things of this world, if you define yourself by those, if if you're going by those, um, you know, <laughs> you, you're going to find your, your, you know, your, your happiness crashed uh, on the rocks of, you know, life's slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. I mean, I have a personal story that, you know, I share with, with some sadness, but uh, you know, my father, may he rest in peace, was an extremely accomplished man, probably one of the most, you know, brilliant um, dermatologists in the country, um, at both diagnosis and treatment, uh, an amazing collector of art. And, you know, he so wanted all of these things to be what he was remembered for. And he wrote his obituary before he died many times, and he wanted to make sure he got it right. Uh, and he hoped that, you know, hundreds of people would come to his funeral. And he happened to die like two days before Easter and Passover. And Mm -hmm. therefore, the service had to be rushed to the next morning because the church that the synagogue that that was hosting it um, was, you know, had services after that. Not only that, in Judaism, you don't grieve, you don't sit shiva during Passover because it's a celebration of freedom. So all of that is suspended. So, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, all the things that he wanted and cherished and hoped for, you know, it was kind of like it was a small funeral. You know, very few people even saw the obit in the paper. Um, and, And I thought to myself, yeah, you know, you put such hopes in this, Dad, but... This isn't the way. Um, In my book, From Plagues to Miracles, I quote the famous um, Percy Shelley poem, uh, Ozymandias, which is about a traveler, you know, going through the desert and coming upon the stumps of these two, you know, legs uh, just standing in in the middle of the desert. 
Um, and there's a plaque, and I'm paraphrasing here, saying, you know, mm-hmm. here, lie, here is Ozymandias, king of kings. Behold his works, ye mighty and tremble. And it, it's sort of the ultimate irony that, yeah, all the works of ego are going to perish. Nothing lasts. You know, here's this guy who thought he was the king of kings and built statues to himself all over. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, now it's just two stumpy legs in the desert and the winds are blowing by and who really cares anyway? Um, mm-hmm. to me, this, this, this is the ultimate indictment of all ego goals. So if this is what you're looking for, I mean, go for it, but good luck. I, mm-hmm. I actually do think this is why, um, so many students of A Course in Miracles are older individuals rather than younger. Um, I'm someone who the Course came into my life at 20 years old, and even though I completely recognized that this was truth, capital T, that that I was sitting with one of the most holy texts that I could imagine, mm-hmm. uh, another part of my mind was, this is outrageous, this is terrible, this is telling me I'm not, I'm not a person, I'm not a self. Oh, my God. And, um, and, and I had to go through a lot because at 20 years old, you still do cherish notions of success. You cherish notions of a certain kind of romantic partner. Um, and, and I think as we go through life and just have more experience, we can say, oh, yeah, I've been there. I did that. Um, you know, another great uh, example of this for me, um, and I have many, was I was a screenwriter for nine years. During that time, I did very little with A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, my energy was going into screenwriting. I was um, very much uh, an acolyte of the Abraham Hicks teachings, which I actually think are quite compatible with the Course, but are so often misunderstood to mean, oh, you can manifest whatever life you want. Um mm-hmm. And I was trying to manifest a life where I was an uh, Academy Award-winning screenwriter. So I had a movie. It was a, a good screenplay. Um, uh, an actress uh, on the West Coast said, let me make this for you. She pulled together an amazing bunch of people. And as we shot the first scene of my screenplay on the banks of the Columbia River just outside Portland, Oregon at sunset, and I'm watching my words come to life, I thought, man, this is amazing. It it really doesn't get much better than this, Mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. And then two days later, the lead actor showed up. He had his own ideas about how he wanted to make this movie. Um, I flew back east to see my patients, and by the time I came back to the set two weeks later, the shoot had been destroyed by this this gentleman uh, and, and his need to be the center of attention. And when I finally got the rough cut in the, uh, you know, in the mail, I played it and I watched this movie that when I saw the first scene being filmed, I thought it was the the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. Well, here it was. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Now I'm watching my words be trashed and it's not working. And, oh, my gosh, this is wrong and this is wrong. And I started scrambling. Well, we can cut this scene if we, let's see, if we put this together with this, you know, we might be able to salvage this. We might be able to salvage this. And as one thing after another fell through and didn't happen, I finally realized, you know, this is not my path. This is not a path to happiness. And I let go. I gave it up. And when I gave it up and realized, okay, I'm a writer, but I'm not doing screenplays anymore, what should I do? 
that's when I started getting the ideas and working on my book, From Plagues to Miracles. Yeah. So sometimes we have to go through you know, what people affectionately call the school of hard knocks. We have mm-hmm. to pursue those things that we think we want from an ego perspective in order to see that either we don't get them and, and life isn't devastated and maybe we didn't need them in the first place, or mm-hmm. we do get them and they don't last, or they're not what we thought they were going to be. I mean, how many of us have had uh, an intense romantic crush, and and the relationship is wonderful for the first two weeks, and you're floating on cloud nine, and it's the best thing ever, and then you start to realize there are things about the other person that kind of bug you. You know, you don't yeah. like uh, the way they, 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 they do things in the morning. They don't have the same routine that you do. Um, you know, and these little seeming things creep in, and slowly but surely, your romantic or sexual or both paradise crashes and burns, and you go, "Well, you know, I made a mistake," and you dump them. Right. We have to go through these things sometimes to realize sometimes, several times. Yes, how about that? Sometimes, you know, well, you have to. Otherwise, over how do you and over sometimes. Exactly. And then when that you go to the course, you're like, "I've done this repeatedly. I get it." Or you should see the notes I have in some of my margins. My goodness. But yeah. I really I really liked your story about the movie, Bob, and, and how you were saying, well, maybe we can salvage this and we can move this around, because I think that's a metaphor for our lives. And yeah. I think that's what many of us do. If you look at your life as a film strip, we wrestle and struggle, and we can't cry hard enough to salvage what we want to salvage, to rearrange what we want to rearrange. And... But we work very hard at deluding ourselves. So A Course in Miracles pulls you out of that and allows you to look at each frame of the movie of your life in total stillness and acceptance. And it gets you to a place of peace where you're like, okay, I don't have to chase after what my ego, you know, makes shiny. You know you know that thing, the little pen, and you tease cats by putting a laser on the wall and a cat chases oh, it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's, that's what we always say, you know, the ego... Says, whispers and, and pretends to be your best friend. Um, but like I said in a previous episode, think of it almost like a blanket of darkness descending upon the earth, like like from the book of Exodus, like that fog. Mm. And it knows how to use your personality against you. And we, I forget what I was trying to say. You know, when, when we learn to, learn to understand that, I think the phrase keeps popping up because you've said uh, the mind that creates our lives. We can't solve our problems with the same mind that created them. So yeah. the whole point is to change your mind and change thoughts of the past into creative thoughts and accept that, you know, okay, so you weren't meant to be a screenwriter, but you were meant to be a healer. And I love the story you told me when we first met that you wanted to be a surgeon. And then you got into the course and you were like, how am I going to do this? If the body's an illusion, what am I fixing? You know? Um, yeah, no, I always wanted to be a psychiatrist, but, but here's the beauty of that. Uh, I wanted to fix minds, and at a certain point, actually, it, it's only fairly recently, I mean, in the last few years, that I've come to the um, conclusion. And, and mind you, I have been a student of A Course in Miracles. It'll be 40 years this coming December, okay? Wow. And it's only in the last two or three years that I finally realized the ego is unfixable. Of, of, 
the entire enterprise of psychotherapy as, as it's practiced in the world is, you know, let me take the Titanic and dress it up and make sure it's going to be a good cruise. Well, mm-hmm. you're never going to have a good cruise on the Titanic. That iceberg's always going to be there. Now, mm. once I let go and realize that, you know, as we said earlier in this show, um, that my only job is to be a miracle worker, to accept atonement for myself. Well, now when I work with people, you know, I'm working within the form of illusion in the ego, but I know that, that ultimately what's coming through is what will help people and myself, because psychotherapy is about relationship too, to wake up. And maybe that's going to happen in a given session. Maybe that's going to take 10 years. Maybe it's going to take 10 lifetimes. It's not my job to figure it out. It's my job to bring it through. And so the moment I shift and realize that my job is to, um, to align with the oneness and the love and bring that through, then all of your abilities, all of my abilities and talents, all of my training, now it can get used by higher power, Holy Spirit, the Buddha mind, again, whatever you want to call it, by Jesus. Uh, Mm -hmm. It can get used to further the atonement. But if I think I can do it myself, you know, that's Uh. that's not going to happen. But so we we were talking about, you know, this idea that, that we think we can solve life from within it, um, and, and you talked about, you know, um, my movie, my, my screenwriting and movie experience is a great metaphor for, um, you know, for trying to salvage our lives. And I think that was just perfect because we, we really do that. We, we say, well, you know what, this relationship didn't work, but hey, the next one, I know exactly what I'm looking for. You know, we buy a house and we think it's, it's remarkable. Um, and after a year or two, you know, we see other people have bigger, nicer houses, and now we've got to move on to that. Um, you know, to the ego, it's never going to be satisfying. The Course says the ego's motto is seek but do not find. The uh-huh. ego loves searching and questing and asking, but it never does find. So when you were talking about the movie, what came into my mind um, that I want to share is, yes, the movie, the story of your life is not you. It's not who you are. You're not the movie. You're the light. You're the light of the, 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 that comes through and gives the illusion that there's a movie. And so the purpose of the course is just to remind you that, yeah, there's this play of light and shadow going on, and, um, and it has a lot of drama to it. But once you realize that you're the light, then you're in all of it, and all of it is in you, and not through form, um, but, you know, through essence. And, and maybe that's what they mean by enlightenment, that you, you recognize that you're nothing but light uh, and that everyone else is just light as well. So I wanted to, to share that little uh, sort agree. of the, the, the place where that metaphor, um, you know, takes us back into the course. Yeah, perhaps um, we can make it succinct by saying that enlightenment is simply remembering who you really are. Yes. You know, and yes. and 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 just and remember what you already know, and that is that we are one, that we are um, holy uh, children of God, and that we are a part of Him because we cannot be apart from our source. Whether you come into this lifetime like Doctor Shockman, choosing to be an atheist, you know, choose yeah. away, but the truth of you is what we're trying to get to. Um, did we already cover uh, the, some of the problems people had when studying the lessons? 
or no, reading the text? No, we did text? not. Okay. Do no, let, you, let's go like there. Okay. That's um, yeah, very important. One thing I want to Go ahead. To Why well, a couple people in my class um, made made statements that I, I found rather alarming, and, and it was that, you know, I'll, I would ask at the beginning of every class, you know, how are you coming along with the lessons and... and you know, and had the normal questions, like, if I like a particular lesson, can I stay on it? Yes, absolutely. Time doesn't matter. Um, yes. But one person said, I, I said, she says she's not seeing a difference. I said, well, are you doing the lesson? She says, yes. I said, well, you sit every day and do the lesson? She says, well, yeah, I do it every day. I listen to them from this website as I check my email. <laughs> and that's not doing the lessons, ladies and gentlemen. This, it, it, all the book requires, all the course requires, is some of your undivided attention. Uh, sometimes throughout the day, sometimes several times a day, sometimes only once. But multitasking is not conducive to absorbing the material, nor is it conducive to getting those lessons. We want them planted in our subconscious mind to replace the fearful beliefs that that reside there. So multitasking is not good. However, That's a great point. I, I did have several students who had mental challenges, and I know you'll understand this as a psychiatrist. There's ADD, there's bipolar, and there's other things that can prove to be challenging when you're trying to focus. And in one instance, people would complain, and it happened to me, so I understood what they were talking about. They would say, well, I'll be reading in the text, and I get to the bottom of the page, and I turn it, and I immediately forget what I read. And the other instances while doing the lessons, um, they can't seem to focus or, or they don't get it. They can't sit still. So my answer to the first scenario is that the ego doesn't want you to have this information. So it's going to fight hard to make it slip from your mental grasp. So I say relax because stress impedes learning. You, you're not going to be able to learn unless you relax. So you just want to take a deep breath, you relax, and you reread very slowly what you read. And at, towards the end of the broadcast, I have a tip for relinquishing the ego that I will happily share with everyone. But with regard to the lessons, um, if you're having trouble focusing, what I found works is because the Course teaches that the ego lives in the body, you want to keep the ego busy. If I'll give you the, the uh, technique for relinquishing it, however... If you prefer this method, fine. You want to keep the ego busy by keeping your hands busy. So any repetitive task, such as doing the dishes, the laundry, raking leaves, uh, something you can do mindlessly, like walking. And in some cases, when when it's extreme, uh, without not paying attention to the road, you can also do this while driving. You know, that light means nothing. That bench means nothing. You can do those types of things. So those are some of the challenges. And also... There's a new app for doing the lessons, isn't that correct, Dr. Bach? Yeah, we are. Um, we the Foundation for Inner Peace is developing apps, not just in English. Um, we're developing them in a number of languages uh, on both um, Apple and uh, Android platforms. Android. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there there has been an app actually for quite some time that. That I've had on my uh, iPhone and I—I I mean my iPod uh, well before the iPhone, but they're getting much more sophisticated. So now there are apps that can remind you every hour on the hour to remember your lesson. Some people feel that that's cheating in some way; uh, mm-hmm. that you should be calling it up on your own. Um, again, none of us can judge what 
another person's curriculum and path should be. Ask your inner teacher, is this a, a learning aid that would be helpful to me, or is it better for me not to do it that way? Uh, you are correct, Char, the ego will sneak in there and, um, and, and get its little claws into just about everything. So mm -hmm. the desire to do the lessons perfectly is not coming from spirit. That, that's an ego desire. Um, mm. That's ego telling you you should be doing it a certain way. By the same token, as you were saying, multitasking is very definitely the ego getting in the way. I mean, think about it this way. If you are trying to multitask while doing your course lessons, where is your, what are you choosing as your priority? You must believe that what you are doing alongside those lessons is of an equal or higher priority than the lessons themselves. Well, if you believe that, then the lessons aren't going to do anything because in doing the lesson, it has to be your complete priority, at least for the two minutes or five minutes or 15 minutes that you're, that you're doing the lesson. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 right. and these, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying it's very important because it, it takes commitment and it takes focus. And these yeah, lessons, they're not just words on the page. They're an experience. They exactly, break you out of time. Right. They're miracles. Why would you not want a daily miracle? It's crazy. We're trying to get out of um, a prison house that we have been locked in and, and where our thinking is so upside down that you have to really work to, to take it in a different direction. Um, I mean, if you're in prison and you really want to escape, You've got to be thinking about it every day, and you've got to be, you know, seeing where, you know, where, where, where you're still trapped. Um, mm -hmm. Bad analogy here on the East Coast, where some prisoners just escaped. Uh, oh my but, God! Um, you know, but uh, but but no, it 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 needs to be a 100% commitment, even if that 100% commitment only uh, is only played out with a half a minute a day. I truly believe that that you know that intention works in a way where if you have a genuine intention even if you are only able to follow it for a very brief period of time that brief period will become a beachhead that will allow you to do more and more will bring in the experience that will show you that this is a worthwhile path um and eventually take you where you need to go where you know where, where you recognize that ultimately there is nothing else that you want to do because, you know, the peace of God is everything I want, as, uh, you know, uh, Lesson 185 would say to us, would tell us. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you can do other things, but eventually, uh, you know, we, we all get um, brought back. Now, in terms of studying, some of the, the I mean, the text is very difficult going in some places because it does... Yep you know, turn what we think we know about the world on its head. Um, I used to find, I don't know whether you've had this experience, Char, but I'd frequently find that I'd read a sentence and I'd be like, what? And then I'd realize that I distorted a word and, and, and gave it, you know, I, I, I can't even think of an example, but, uh, you know, I, I would read it and I would substitute a different word that completely changed the meaning of the passage into something that was totally ego in mind. I hmm. think this is part of how we learn. You know, we need to uh. recognize, wait a minute, is that what the Course is saying? Let me go back, let me read it more carefully. Oh, no, it's not. But 
again, it's a self-study course. So if you are struggling to get through something and your mind is saying, I hate this, this passage, this is, um, why are you persisting with that particular passage? Go to your inner guidance, say, help, I don't like this. Um, there must be a better way and see what you get. Maybe mm -hmm. it is about going to the workbook. Maybe it's about going to the manual for teachers or one mm -hmm. of the two supplements, uh, the Song of Prayer, or the psychotherapy manual. Maybe it'll say, um, douse the table of contents of the text because there are many, many sections later on that are quite easy to read and are absolutely gorgeous mm. uh, and inspirational. And maybe when you encounter one of those, it will help you go, ah, this is what I needed. Yes. But, you know, recognize resistance is coming from the ego. Yes. And, and self-awareness at times can be painful, but there is no real growth without some level of discomfort. And I didn't always like it, but I was getting the information that I needed to hear, and once I let go of my resistance to the information then I was able to absorb it and learn more about myself and, and why I think the way I do and why I react the way I do and and get myself to move beyond that. But when I felt myself being frustrated, bored, or uh, some other reaction, I sat with it and very calmly, sometimes I would read it out loud so that my subconscious would hear it even louder. But I wanted to get that information planted in my subconscious mm -hmm. and then I would allow myself to move on or go sing, go do something. But it takes a level of commitment. Um, there was one more thing mm -hmm. that... Oh, the uh, the little exercise. Yes, why don't we move I, to that? I found this by accident, and um, I was trying to do something else. To be honest, I was, I was trying to raise my kundalini, and I did this by accident. And what I, what I discovered was... I had to cut the noise down in my head because I was I was either trying to read the text or listen when I asked a question. I, I wanted guidance. And I would hear myself, that, you know, all that chatter. And so I said, well, there's got to be a, a way to effectively quiet my mind. So what I did was I sat in my chair and I sat tall and closed my eyes and then I imagined going to the pineal gland, which is in the center of the head, and it actually is your third eye. And what I did was I visualized a bubble coming from the outside of my skull, very slowly inward and getting smaller as it did, and as it went, it encapsulated my ego until it was about the, the size of a marble. And then I very slowly visualized, and I found that sometimes I would lose my grip, so I, I had to slow down a bit, but very slowly... Visualize that moving to the back of your head and then out the back of your skull. And I actually felt energy leave my head. After that, it became much easier to either study or hear my inner teacher tell me what I needed to do to resolve a conflict. Does that make sense? Yeah. So maybe uh, if you could break it, it down into quick, quick and easy steps, then... We can all kind of, you know, take that and uh, and, and package it for our, uh, as one of the tools that we can use. Mhm. Okay. So basically, so, uh, sit, visual. sit tall, uh, close your eyes, visualize a bubble 
larger than your head, moving inward to the center and growing smaller as it goes until it encapsulates your ego around the center of your skull and then visualize pushing that backward until you can get it to the edge of your skull in the back and then push it out. And you will feel energy as you practice this, leaving your head, and you'll feel lighter. It's the, it's the strangest thing, mm. but that's what I do before I study, before I give a reading, uh, before I consult, you know, for guidance. I You're make clearing sure I things out. out. I'm clearing it out. But yeah. it was funny, as I started doing that, uh, I found that in the summer of 2001, and then one day I did it, and I hear somebody laughing. And it was one of my spirit guides. I said, what's so funny? They said, the the way you find things accidentally is just rather amusing and, and amazing to us. We just think it's really great. So, But they said that's a very effective way to clear your mind out and get that noise and static out so that you can absorb the material or communicate. So that's what I do. I like it. It's basically um, being your own head shrinker. <laughs> exactly. Maybe what I'll do is record it and put it in the magazine as one of the guided experiences I promised. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. How is? Yeah. I was going to ask good. how the magazine is coming along. I don't know if that's appropriate for this segment because it's okay. going to be archived, but uh, I am very much looking forward to uh, to seeing that uh, find its way into our world of form. <laughs> me, me too. It's a lot of work. It's uh, a tremendous undertaking. Yeah. Which I do so happily, uh, but it is um, there's a lot of major components, and then I can focus on the smaller ones. So I'm working on it. I work on it every day, but uh, it's a daunting task. But I am no stranger to hard work, and it will be coming in, in the next Good. couple of months, I guess. Well, the prayer I selected today is actually one of the lessons that reads for me like a prayer, and it's from Lesson 190. I choose the joy of God instead of pain. So that's the. Uh, I'll, I'll read three paragraphs from there. Did you want to uh, mention anything else before we sign off, Doctor Bob? Um, let me think. In terms of upcoming events, uh, in its very early stages, if you are in the greater um, New York area, we will be doing a kind of a garden party day of A Course in Miracles on August 22nd, which is a Saturday. Um, I will be involved in that. Um, uh, a number of uh, other, uh, you know, local course teachers and uh, course musicians, um, you know, uh, John Bevan and uh, Dr. Dana Morocco are uh, have a knack for um, rewriting the lyrics to popular songs, uh, so they're Course in Miracles songs, and we'll be getting a nice uh, a nice dose of them. So it, it'll be a nice day if, as I said, you live in the uh, the greater New York, uh, central New Jersey area, and want to just uh, do kind of a a fun casual day with a Course in Miracles. And I will be you know putting that out more as as the plans firm up. And and how do people sign up for that? Don't know yet. Um, I'm, I'm sure uh, I'll have it on my Facebook page. Like I said, we're in kind of the very early stages of, of putting it together, but I know the date is now firm, and, um, okay. you know, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, so and that's from Plagues to Miracles page on Facebook. You can interact with Dr. Bob, send questions. Exactly. I, I, um, this, I had a lot of fun with this. I, li I like the freestyle. 
yeah, I'm thinking maybe we do it again uh, next month. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But I I, I enjoyed this too. Okay. All right. So and and we definitely are so, doing a segment next month, right? Um, yeah, I think I'm going to be able to work that in. Uh, I okay. think it, it it just makes it. So yeah. Okay. Well. The passage, as I was studying today, uh, this this struck me, and I think it's appropriate as I'm glancing over because of some of the various things we said in this broadcast. And this is what it says. This is, again, from Lesson 190. I choose the joy of God instead of pain. And this is uh, paragraph 6, 7, and 11. My holy brother, think of this a while. The world you see does nothing. It has no effects at all. It merely represents your thoughts. And it will change entirely as you elect to change your mind and choose the joy of God as what you really want. Yourself is radiant in this holy joy, unchanged, unchanging, and unchangeable forever and ever. And would you deny a little corner of your mind its own inheritance and keep it as a hospital for pain, a sickly place where living things must come at last to die? The world may seem to cause you pain, and yet the world, as causeless, has no power to cause. As an effect, it cannot make effects. As an illusion, it is what you wish. Your idle wishes represent its pains. Your strange desires bring it evil dreams. Your thoughts of death envelop it in fear, while in your kind forgiveness does it live. Pain is illusion. Joy, reality. Pain is but sleep. Joy is awakening. Pain is deception. Joy alone is truth. And so again we make the only choice that ever can be made. We choose between illusions and the truth, or pain and joy, or hell and heaven. Let our gratitude unto our teacher fill our hearts, as we are free to choose our joy instead of pain, our holiness in place of sin, the peace of God instead of conflict, and the light of heaven for the darkness of the world. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless and be at peace.